I would have so much anxiety, you know, just having a pitch come in and feeling like I needed to say yes, but knowing that I had nothing in me to do the work, you know, because um, I felt like a fraud. I just, I, there was nothing left. Hello, and welcome to Beautiful Failures Podcast. This is Andy Real, And I'm Stephen Keach. And this is a show where we interview creatives about failures in their life and career that help propel them where they are today. Welcome to episode five of Beautiful Failures. This week, we have an amazing conversation with Solomon Lichtellum. Solomon is an award-winning filmmaker who has directed projects for The Weeknd, Adidas, Ford, and countless others while managing to create and release his own personal projects and short films along the way. We talk about his journey growing up in South Africa and Dubai and how he got his start in filmmaking, as well as the impact that burnout and depression has had on his personal and creative life. And what it means to work in the shadows and the social media-driven world. This is a really, really good conversation. Enjoy. All right, so Solomon, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, we like to start out with a story. Typically, me and Stephen have a really good mutual friend here in Nashville that randomly walked up to me years ago, and he's like, "He's like, do you know this this director named Solomon?" I'm like, "I know his work. I'm definitely familiar with his work." He was like, "He was my guitar teacher in Dubai," <laughs> and that's how what? small that's how small this world is. And I was like. <laughs> Whoa, his name is Chris. Uh, Chris Murphy. Yeah, and he- shout out, shout out to Chris Murphy. What's up, buddy? He grew up in Dubai with wow. me. Wow. Dude, yeah. that is insane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did wow. you- Wow, I remember those days. I remember those days, man. How old were you? Did you do a lot of- Did you teach a lot of guitar lessons? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is so crazy. I was probably 16, 17, 18. Okay. And I didn't get- um, I didn't really get uh, what do you call it an allowance. Okay. Um, so I had to work. I just had to hustle for my money. Yeah. Um, and I did. I did guitar school, like guitar teaching, extracurricular guitar teaching, uh, and I had a bunch of students. Um, and Chris, Chris was one of them. Um, I did it maybe three, four times a week, like three or four days a week, and had I would say probably about. 10 students. Um, so that's how I made my money. I'm trying to think of like, I think that's how I bought my second guitar was out of that. Okay. Nice. Um, my dad was like, my mom and dad were, they were always a champion. They were always championing me on the creative side of things. Hmm. Um, but I had to work for the stuff that I got. Um, the, the thing that my dad did buy me, he bought me my first guitar and then he bought me like a tools rig. Um, so he'd buy these things that he would see as like assets for my life. Um, but anything other, if I wanted a Game Boy or whatever, it's like, it had to come from lesson, my guitar lessons or something. Right. That's awesome. What's your, like, we don't have to talk about it too much, but like, what's, how old were you? Like when you were growing up in Dubai and what's some, like, what was that like? What are some like early memories of, of growing up? I was, I'm, I lived, I grew up in South Africa from from zero to 12. Okay. Um, moved to Dubai when I was 12. Um, did high school till I was 17, 18. Um, in and out of three different setups. Uh, went to school when we first arrived. Um, my name my name is Solomon Reinhardt Lichtalem. That's a bit of a tongue twister. But I went by my middle name, 
which is my more Afrikaans name, when I grew up in South Africa. Then I moved to Dubai and no one could say it. So I was mm-hmm. like, okay, let's try Solomon. And then everyone, it was a largely like, it was largely um, uh, local. So like Emirati Arab school. Uh, I was the only Caucasian kid in my class. Um, and they call, they started calling me Salmon. I was like, oh, this is not, <laughs> this is not working either. Um, but I, I've always been a bit of an introvert. Um, and then my parents couldn't afford the schooling anymore. So I had to go to homeschooling, which sucked. I think for both me and my mom and my sister, we just, we were, we were hating life. Hmm. My mom was a teacher and she then found a job at a school, a kind of another local school. And then, so two years after homeschooling, my mom uh, got the job at the school and then we went uh, and we got a reduced rate on our tuition and we went to school. But I, I was so like, when I was at home for those two years doing homeschooling, I was playing guitar, I was getting obsessed with music. So when I went to school and again, I was, I was, I felt a bit like an outsider. Um, I just got into music and I got obsessive about music. My dad saw my passion, bought me a little pro tool set up. I started recording music. Um, and so the artistic side, which isn't really in my family, my dad's like, I have a, sci- have a scientific brain. My mom's a teacher. Um, but my dad, I guess my dad loved seeing that passion um, and loved seeing that side, which was foreign to our whole household and to my mom's household and to my dad's, you know, what they grew up in. So my dad really championed that. And I recorded an album in my bedroom when I was 16. My dad, <laughs> my dad was so excited about it that he flew some producers over from South Africa and we built a little studio. They flew their computer and their, you know, their rig over built a studio in my bedroom and we recorded like a 12, <laughs> like a 12 song little album. That That's will amazing. Never, probably I'll, I'll never show it to the world, but wow. I was 16 and super passionate, but that, that I, I always knew my dad would be behind what I did creatively. And yeah, I'm very, very thankful for both him and my mom. That's cool. Do you speak Afrikaans? Afrikaans is my first language, but that's I've, crazy. I've my my um, vocabulary is shot. I, yeah. I really struggle speaking these days. What's your like earliest memory of like music or even a film that first kind of stopped you and really like inspired you? What what was the first thing that really wanted you to be a creator? Well, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think which film or piece of music made me realize that I could do it. I think that's, I I have that, but I'll go a little bit further back because that happened pretty late for me. Growing Mm -hmm. up in South Africa, you don't, you just don't think it's a possibility that you can get into this vocation, both the musical, you know, the music side or the film side. It just doesn't feel like it's something that that's attainable. Okay. Um, there is a, there is a film that did that for me, or actually a commercial. Um, but going back, I think some of my earliest memories of like music that affected me, and this is going to be sound very strange, but I remember I was young and we went over to, uh, a friend of my dad's house and he had just bought a sound system and he wanted to play us some music on his sound system and he put on Enya. Nice. And yes. 
it was unbelievable. Yeah. Like it, it was transportive, you yeah. know? And I think that's the first time where I really realized the effect of music, like mm. the spiritual, for me, it's spiritual. Like for me, all art is in a, is in a way spiritual. Mm -hmm. My favorite filmmaker, um, Andre Tarkovsky, one of my favorite filmmakers says, art is a yearning towards the ideal. And whenever you set a, a sort of ideal, that's as like a spiritual vocation. Um, and I think that's what it does. It's like, we're, tr we're trying to reach to something spiritual. I think that's that effect that I, you know, that's what the Enya piece of music did for me. And then honestly, when I was young, I remember being moved by like really young by the Lion King. Oh, yeah. Um, just as a kid, like crying, you know, when Simba lost his dad was, I remember, I just particularly remember that's one of the films I cried in. I remember also crying. I watched, um, I watched the mission. I don't know how young I, young I was, but uber young. I watched the mission with my dad and crying during that, um, thin red line. I remember watching when I was super, like my dad, my dad's very strange <laughs> in a way. He had me watch these things that are probably not even age appropriate but sure. there'd be a lesson or a feeling that he'd want for me to get out of it he's still like that you know yeah. um uh last night he messaged me and he's like have you watched chernobyl i was like yeah dad i've watched chernobyl yeah. <laughs> he sends me a message every leader should watch that you know yeah <laughs> so, like what do, you, what do you want to my dad speaks in tangents um but um and then i remember one of the first there's two other films that I watched that I was like, it, it kind of like sat in me, it resonated with me. And this was now a little bit older. And when I started becoming more aware of what art is and what, I mean, maybe, maybe not even what art is, but just what a filmic experience can do. I remember watching Man on Fire with my dad mm. and that having a visceral reaction watching that and going, wow, that's cool. And I'm moved and so mm. many emotions and feelings in that. And then the other one, oh, the other one, I remember I was 11 or 12 and I watched Twister. Nice. And that film, I remember all the girls, from, I had a sister, she was seven, she's 17 months younger than me. She went to go watch Titanic mm -hmm. um, with her friends. And then me and my cousins went to go watch Twister. And that movie was so loud. Yeah. Um, and I was a kid and I was freaked out of my mind. Um, like scared, I, like it was a horror film yeah. to me, mm -hmm. and um, but it, but it, but it really did something. And even now, when I, when I look at my work and how much I love sound, because I, you know, I studied audio engineering, like, you know, when I did my degree, um, and I still do sound design on a lot of my own projects. And I love the sound of the wind, and I love the sound of thunder. And maybe that film just tapped into some sort of like deep visceral um, connection that I feel to nature in a way, but also maybe that film set off something in me um, that is part of what I do now and part of what I love to see on a screen and the sort of like emotion and being inside a picture. Like I think that film put the viewer inside the picture somehow because nature felt so immersive, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, so that, that film was definitely a, I wouldn't say it made me want to pick up a camera, but now when I look back, it had an effect, 
Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. And then the thing that made me want to pick up a camera was a commercial. It was called Nike Addicted. That's the first mm. time where I realized, ooh, maybe I can do this. The DSLRs had just come out. Hmm. Um, and I was, I started thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I could do this, you know? Yeah. So that was, that was a commercial, I think 2007 or maybe 2011. Um, that was kind of like a pivot point for me. Oh, this is what I want to do. And it wasn't films yet. It wasn't features. It wasn't short films. It was maybe, it's just a visual language and merging had a crazy good VO, crazy good sound design, incredible images, an incredible concept. And that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Hmm. So it's definitely like all the components that you saw in, in that Nike ad that probably really inspired you and made you feel like maybe I can do this. Like what was that transition like from seeing that to like picking up a camera and doing things for the first time film wise? <laughs> Yeah, so I was I was working for a church at the time, but more just as a um, let me track back maybe a little bit. Um, I did two years of sound design, uh, of audio engineering, studying audio engineering. It was called a uh, bachelor's degree in recording arts, and after that, a church employed me as a sort of a quote unquote creative. And I was like, I don't know why they're giving me that title. I just studied audio engineering. Yeah. But the the audio engineering part of it wasn't that intense. I just had to mix services and, you know, it wasn't really all that intense. And so I, two to three days a week, I ended up having a bit of my own time. Not my own time, but time I was like experimenting and playing around. So I used that bit of time to get into motion graphics because I didn't need a camera. I could do all of that on After Effects. I was just playing around with that. My girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, said, very cool, but this is feeling a little bit lifeless. I feel like, you know, what if you integrate some people into this? And she was obsessed with photography at the time. And I thought, okay, well, let me see. You know, dug around. I was part of a small church in Dubai. They had a camera, an old, like, beta cam sort of thing. Nice. Um, I was like, okay, let me go out. Let me shoot some shoot some bits, and I'll I'll see if I can kind of integrate that into the motion graphic stuff. And there were there was a lot of that going on at the time. Um, a lot of like the motion festivals, um, semi permanent. Um, there was there were a couple, and they would all do these title sequences where they would shoot live action and then do type over it. People like. Um, I'm trying to think of like people like Chris Hewitt, um, Rob Chu, um, the prologue guys at the time they were doing t- title sequences for film. I remember the big title sequence, you know, around that time was the uh, seven title sequences yeah. that was just like blowing up. Everyone yeah. was going crazy for it. It's like, oh, I could, you know, I could do that sort of thing, shoot some bits and then, and then play with the art after effects stuff. And I did that and um, it was fun. Actually, I, I did, when I first got the camera, I did a, like a simple little video of construction workers in Dubai and that, you know, a bunch of people saw that on Vimeo. Yeah. And then I did one or two more. But then I did this one video um, called Silent Transitions, which I kind of like shot on the fly. I, I made the piece of music on 
just on my iPhone connected to my computer on a flight from Dubai to um, Israel or to Jordan. Um, and then I just ran around the city with my camera shooting a bunch of stuff. But I had a concept that was going to tie all these things together. And after I finished that video, put it online, and it had integrated like all the things that I was like learning at the time, sound design, music, um, shooting, so filming, and um, – and motion graphics. And at this, point, online, at this point, were you doing this for your church or were you doing this more just for a creative outlet? So I was doing, I was doing, I was doing some of that for church. Like, <laughs> um, again, small church, they had never, you know, they had never done anything on the video side. So I started doing like video announcements, like church news sort of thing. And yeah. then I was doing, but then I was like really playing with ideas and making cool little videos for a Bible study or something, you know, like yeah. things that almost like were oversells to what the event was. Um, but it was just kind of a way to flex the creative muscles. But that particular video, I just did the one video, the silent transitions video that I did was like, I just wanted to play. And I kind of wanted to play un, unbounded by uh, a sort of this needs to work for this aim. I just wanted to create something that felt like something that I wanted to say, but also played with all these little different facets that I was playing with at the time, all these skill sets. And I put that online. And I guess, you know, viral means something different today. Sure. But in the economy of Vimeo back then, it sort of went viral. Yep. Um, and a bunch of people saw it. And it really became kind of like a, a small little turning point for what I was doing, you know, as part of the small church, a bunch of people saw it, people outside of that sort of world also saw it. Um, but it opened up a door to move to Australia and work, you know, big church with Hillsong for three years, which was, hmm. which is really an amazing opportunity and learned, learned a whole lot uh, working with a bigger team, working with, you know, super tight deadlines, working at scale. Um, and, that all happened within a span of a year. So like, you know, getting the camera, really, I was obsessed um, and was putting all my time into that. And then within a year, moved to uh, to Sydney and then spent three years there, again, working, learning how to work on scale, working with more people, um, tighter deadlines. And then an opportunity opened up with um, Variable, the guys that, you know, um, Danny and Steve Hoover were connected to opportunity to open up there to come and work for variable here in New York. And I couldn't do it initially because I had, a, I had just had a newborn baby. Um, but they said the, you know, the, the offer is open-ended and I came over with an eight month old mm. and we've been here since, since mm -hmm. then. And wow. really trying to transition now from, you know, when I moved here, I was like, okay, let's do commercials. And then that opened up and then I kind of did it. A little bit backwards because I went from commercials and I was like, I want to do music videos. Mm. A lot of people started music videos yep. and go into commercials, yep. but I was feeling like I was getting trapped doing car commercials mm. and I didn't want to do car commercials. So I was like, okay, I need to do music videos. And I wrote a couple of ideas. And once I did the music videos, that really opened up um, a different side of, I guess, the creative um, avenues. And, but now, now it's features. Now that's, you know, long form is really what I want to do. 
I definitely remember that was my entry point to your work as well. Um, that first Vimeo video, I definitely remember that hitting. I I, I, I remember like a guy in like yeah. super super slow motion with a lot of like text yeah. and it was very it's very of that era. <laughs> but I I definitely remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? So when we briefly talked before, you mentioned um, you know, you obviously know the subject matter of this like podcast and you know what we want a lot of this conversation to be about, like. You mentioned uh, another early piece of work for you, Anomaly, was kind of your first like mm. entry into feeling like um, a feeling of failure in a professional way. Can you can you talk a little bit mm. about that? Yeah. So when I was in Australia, I started writing. I started writing this film um, with a friend of mine, Dandy Felice. Um, it's called Anomaly, and we made, I think I was writing it for a couple, for a couple of months, maybe a year. And then I came over, um, did a trip to New, to New York or to the US and we shot the film here. And then a year later, I'd moved. I was still living in Australia, came over just to shoot the film, went back to Australia, started finishing up the film, actually moved to New, moved to New York during that time. And we finished up the okay. film in two, three months. We launched it. We released it. And... Again, to a similar extent, it sort of had, it sort of had an effect, I guess, online. People, sure. a bunch of people saw it, and at the time, um, it felt like the thing that I really wanted to make. Um, but I didn't want it to be. I, it's so hard to say because it's almost like easier to say in retrospect, and maybe people don't believe you, but. I really mean it when I say that we didn't want to make something that necessarily felt like, oh, we're telling this very um, linear story. Like mm -hmm. I was really, I'm, I'm, you know, I am, I guess, really inspired by Terrence Malick and mm -hmm. wanted to kind of like make a film that was a little bit uh, allegorical um, and slightly non-linear. Um, and actually when we released that film, it, we got so much interest from people that is, you know, it's quite, quite amazing. Like we got interest from WME, who's like a massive agent company, Platinum Dunes, um, which is um, Michael Bay's production company. Mm. And a couple of really great opportunities, actually to the point where we're starting to see scripts. Uh, WME sent us a bunch of scripts, but the mm. scripts felt very much in line with anomaly and by the time that we had finished anomaly and a lot of people were saying like oh maybe you should make that and turn that into a feature you know structure it a little bit more clearly and linearly but i had felt already that that film was done and yeah. passed and mm -hmm. i actually wanted to do something like it was an experiment it's yep. it was a honestly that's what it felt like that film was to me um but if i'm honest I feel like there were two kind of camps out of that. Like people that were saying, well, this is not a real film. Like it's, you know, it's so nonlinear and non-formal storytelling that you can't really. And then other people that really like championed it. And it was like, wow, there's really something there. And I felt personally like it served its purpose uh, in terms of what I was trying to do. Um, which was just do something experimental. Mm -hmm. And, um, but to the people that were like making a big deal out of it, it felt like I needed to, 
and I was thankful that they liked it, but it felt like I needed to do something next that was like going to top that. Yeah. And there was like a very strange thing that I was like, well, I don't know if I want to do that. And then for the people that didn't like it, it's hard. It's hard not to feel like, okay, well, it was just an experimentation. You almost want to justify it the whole time to the people who mm. didn't like it. But even that was like sort of unhelpful. And I started really like wrestling with the definition of like, well, to these people, it's a failure. And to these people, it's a success. And, and somehow taking both those very seriously isn't very good for me. Sure. Um, yeah. And so what I started to do is started to think about, I just want to do something different. And I just want to do something where there isn't a huge expectation. And I started looking at bands as a, for instance, and how I kind of want to navigate through the landscape of creating. So I saw, you know, I saw sort of like the, um, the Coldplay's that were Mm -hmm. like, they were out front mainstream, but there's so much like love and intense hate, but because the platform is so huge, they, and, and what I also experienced with them is a little bit like the, the music. I love Coldplay. Let me just say that. I do love Coldplay, but the music started feeling the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, well, there's such a huge expectation that you can't veer too far left and right. And so there's this idea that you have to top yourself the whole time. You see it a little bit with Kanye as well, like just in the way that he speaks. But I do think he tries different things. He's kind of un- super unafraid. He definitely um, pivots. And then I look. Uh, sorry, say again. Kanye definitely has pivoted a lot over the years. I think that's part of his yeah. success. Con- like controversy aside, I know it's a controversial subject matter yes. right now, but I think he has successfully reinvented himself over and over again. Whereas maybe a Coldplay yeah. has not. Has not. So yeah, and maybe yeah. you're talking about re- me, reinvention. Like- maybe you're talking about reinvention for yourself to a degree. You know, like exactly. Yeah. That's and like I w- I would actually like if I compare compare actually like a Coldplay and a Radiohead. Like Radiohead flew to me under the radar of the mainstream a little bit. Obviously they've had success in that space, but they were always able to reinvent, do something new. And it wasn't about, is this greater than the next? It's almost like, I don't, I feel like he doesn't, Tom York and, you know, Johnny Greenwood, they don't care about whether this is like in the public's eyes, this thing is the, is better than the thing that I've done before. Mm. And for me, I just recently heard someone talk about just comparing curiosity and ambition. And he said, people that follow ambition plateau pretty quickly and people that feel, follow the curiosity just keep growing. And yeah. that's how I, I mean, ideally that's how I want to grow old is following my curiosity yeah. and ambition be damned, you know? And I look at filmmakers like David Lynch, Perfect mm-hmm. example of a dude that's following his curiosity and it's like, sure. well, yeah. this is just a little short film about whatever it doesn't, you know, I want to be like that. I don't, I don't want to grow up and it's like, okay, well I've done like the one mil film and now I'm doing the five mil film and now mm-hmm. I'm doing the 40 mil film. And then the next thing has to be a 200 mil film. It's like, well, it could be a one mil film. It could be a short film. It could be a yeah. music video. It could be an art film. It could be, you know, then you've kind of broken all expectations about what, you know, what you're doing. And also, well, the, the next thing has to be the next greatest thing. It's like, no, it doesn't have to be. That's you know, interesting. I'm following my curiosity and I'm safe. 
I, I think that's some of my favorite creators too, just follow their curiosity. That's like what they do. Um, I would, you know, say as a result, they continue to reinvent and put out things that are interesting versus being a like business model. If yeah. You will. The, with like, I feel like the big thing right now uh, with a lot of creators is talking about this like whole idea to, to find your niche. Right. Or like, right. Uh, and it's like, you know, that's terrifying to me because I'm like, uh, <laughs> you know, what if I, what if I do want to make this other album or if I want yes. to score a film like this or whatever it is, like, I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily want to be pigeon held. And I don't think that a lot of creators want to do that because then you end up, yeah, you end up doing the same thing for the rest of your life. And that's not yeah. necessarily creating that's performing. Um, yes. And yeah, so I, I, I totally see where you're coming from there. Here's a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Smoker's Abbey. Don't smoke, but if you do, go to Smoker's Abbey. They have a wide selection of cigars, pipe tobacco, and much more located in East Nashville and Gallatin, Tennessee. Go now. Welcome to Smoker's Abbey, where you can get the best smoke. All the smoke. Real quick to go back, we don't have to stay on like anomaly too long, but I definitely that was like one of the first like kickstarters from a filmmaker that I remember, um, and it was definitely within that like Vimeo uh, kind of era. Um, mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, like pre pre Instagram and all those things, like when you talk about the different voices and opinions uh, kind of affecting you for for that film, like what what did what did that look like? Was this just like comments or like what, 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 what did that look like exactly? Yeah. Um, yeah. Comments. I remember we sent it to, uh, we sent it to it's this website that curates short films. I, I can't remember if it's short, short film daily or oh, something. Yep. 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 But I remember it's this guy, uh, I guess the main writer from it is like, thank you for submitting, but uh, I don't feel like this, that's a sort of a short film model. Um, okay. You know, and with stuff like that. Yeah. And I honestly, I've learned, I really have learned not to take things personally, um, but to learn. So like, you know, that comment is not an attack on me per se. It's, it's just a comment about what I was doing and that's, you have to be able to learn. So for me, again, a redefinition of failure is like failure has the, capacity to debilitate you and i think success has the capacity to stagnate you Hmm. and so i don't i don't want to be in either of those camps right so i want to take quote unquote failure and have it be a learning exercise it's like oh okay so i'm learning what not to do and and also um the more and more I think about it, I think it's really important to do things in the shadow. Everything that we do, so when things come out of the shadow, it's like, okay, this is what I feel like now is prepared for the world, but we do mm-hmm. everything in the public sphere. Everything like work is released almost before it's ready on social media because man, I just need that endorphin hit. Um, but I think everything, even from like social justice, so much of that needs to happen in the shadows and it needs to happen first and foremost in the shadows before we kind of go out and try and change the world. And I think it's the same with art. Like it's important to do almost, for me, like art at its best is almost like therapy, right? So, um, and that's how I've 
literally like if I can just do it, it's like the process of doing is really important, also, almost more than the process of putting out. Um, and it's something that I've just continually trying to remind myself is process, 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 because you often, you know, like the Daniels, man, they just made an insane film mm -hmm. um, that won seven Oscars. I grew up same generation as them, yeah. you know? Yeah. If, I, if I start getting kind of like, um, let's, how can I put it? Um, sidetracked by the accolade aspect of it, mm -hmm. then it's like you sitting in an exam and time's running out and you're like, oh shit, I still have, you know, six questions to answer, but I can't, I can't, I can't. It starts becoming yep. like that sort of like trap yep. as opposed to, wait, what's been given to me hmm. as my gift, the thing that I need to talk about, the thing that I need to wrestle with, um, almost like in therapy, therapeutically, spiritually, on all these different dimensions, um, you can't fast track that work, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, and that is kind of the shadow work that I feel like over the last years. And people always say, oh, when are you releasing a feature? I can't wait to see a feature. It's like, I, it'll be ready when it's ready, you know? Right. And I think, I, I do believe in a sort of like, um, uh what's the word like a, a divine time a, a cosmic time that i think sure. is right and sure. um i want to do that work and i'm you know doing that work at the moment and there's so much work that i think there's so many scripts um, um like short film scripts a couple of feature scripts that i'm that i'm working on and i want to be diligent and a good steward of that work but it's existing in the shadows at the moment and when it's right it'll come out and it will find its right audience. It's not gonna, my intent is not to overblow that film or that film with my genius. It's, I, I want to just be a good steward of what was given me and have it germinate, you know, in the right time. And then it will find its home wherever that may be. You, uh, you just kind of touched on something that um, Andy and I kind of talk about uh, regularly, which is like this kind of idea of, creative jealousy uh, and how that plays a role mm. in like preventing uh, pre preventing creative people from doing what they want to do or like you kind of right. compare yourself to somebody else. Um, uh, has that kind of snuck in ever at times into your creative life? Um, it always does. It always does. And I mean, it always as a thought, right? Um, yeah. It always comes in and then you have to go, no, like you have to be reminded, I think all the time, you know, I think sometimes burnout is, comes from the, from a same place. Depression comes from the same place. It's not, mm. it's when you don't realize what's given to you mm. and what is your gift and who you are and what your value is. When you start to, when the ego starts to kind of like rise up and it's like, oh, well, I've got to be this thing and I've got to be seen by that person it's it's a sort of like a defense mechanism because you're seeing it in someone else and you're like well i've got to one up that person somehow like we all do it yeah but i think the really healthy place to be in is the place of who am i with what worth was i created and I, I do speak in you know slightly esoteric terms but i think every person has to really wrestle with this because i think that is a transformative mindset mm -hmm. um that if you can see yourself you know, 
what you were like when you grew up as a kid, that mm. inquisitiveness that you had, you know, before things became competitive, when, if you had it, when your parents said they loved you, you know, before you start getting into relationships and hurting people, I mean, it's just, you have to get back to that, like, true self <laughs> version and see yourself in that way. And also the gift, the thing that you have to offer, um, see it in kind of purer terms, because otherwise it's just competition the whole time. And that sort of competition, I think for some people, great, it works. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. know whether that's very healthy, but in terms of getting them to produce, okay, that works. I know for myself, it doesn't. It actually yeah. debilitates me. Mm-hmm. I actually need a sort of like, you know, the meditative space up at the house upstate for a little bit where I can kind of escape New York for a bit because otherwise it's compete, 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 or yeah. it's input, 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 but I'm not actually being a good steward with what's inside mm. and trying to bring that out. Cause um, that's kind of outward, right? I mean, like competition is a bit like you're taking what somebody else already did and trying to do it better as opposed to mm. like really searching whatever is inside you and really trying to present that as accurately as possible or as in a, in a beautiful way or whatever it yeah. is. It's introspective. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think, when I was in my late twenties, when I had my first kid, or just before I had my first kid, Haran, my my boy, and my girl, and I grew up I grew up in a Christian family. You know, parents were missionaries, um, and I just always thought, well, ah, oh, what's inside me? No one's going to ever want to hear about that because who cares? I mean, we're so postmodern that no one cares about that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I realized, I think. So I had I had these two very uh, critical uh, I would say how would you say um, rock bottom moments and rock bottom is the the wrong word because it feels like oh well you were strung out on the street or you were you know sure. yeah you cheated on your family I think it's super subjective <clears throat> what rock bottom is every person's definition or experience of rock bottom was is different for me it just meant I just got to the place where I couldn't get out of, I had a burnout slash depression 2018 after three music videos. And one of them was such a horrific experience, but I just couldn't get out of it. You know, I slept, went to bed at 7 PM, slept till 10 AM. That sort of like mm. for three months, three, four months. And my wife said, well, you know, just be thankful. All these things that actually is right, but I just couldn't get out of it. And it was for me, a sort of like deeply spiritual moment that got me out of it. You know, I had a conversation. I remember I was got on a conversation with my mom and she just said, remember that you are beloved. Very simple. Hmm. My, during those three music videos, I was like kind of like an ego climbers. One was for the, for the weekend. One was for young fathers. Like, ah, oh, great. Let's just hustle and, and, and do it. And actually the, the one that became so tricky was for almost like a no-name artist. And but it was such a huge ego hit um uh with that with the process of that music video that I was reduced to nothing and nothing that I could do could get me out of it. And then when I had the sky call with my mom and dad, and my, my mom just said, Remember that you are beloved. And I knew that she meant okay by us, but I also knew that she meant that in a kind of a cosmic sense. And it like it really you know, it took me, I was in tears and, and it, it was this sort of like 
uh, reconstruction of my true self, of my little baby self, you know, yep. of my little child self. Yep. And, and so for me, what I realized was actually that's what I have, you know, faith, religion, everything aside. It's like I actually feel like I've gone through that experience now twice. Uh, the other time was just during the pandemic or just before the pandemic in 2020. So I had a similar sort of experience. And, um, but I was able to see it from a distance coming, the burnout sort of thing coming. And I just had had this moment of like realizing, don't feed. I realized the, that what you say to yourself and what you say outside to other people about yourself <laughs> is so important. Mm. So to find that careful balance between not um, inflating yourself or deflating yourself, but really talking about your struggles and who you are, but also the things that that you feel like you're you're, you're exploring. Your curiosity is really important. Don't inflate or deflate your value because it can really cripple you either way. Mm. Um, and that's the thing that I feel like now that I'm so obsessed with is like how to help people find value and like find their value. For me, there's a kind of a, a, a spiritual component to that. That's now the stories that I want to talk about. That's the stories that I want to explore. And that that varies from some comedy things that I'm playing with, some sci-fi things that I'm playing with, some social realist uh, drama that I'm playing with. It's kind of like genre agnostic. But every time I'm kind of like playing with that point and its counterpoint. Um, and it's been really fun exploring that over the last couple of years. That's cool. To jump in, um to kind of go back to what you're saying about your initial burnout, like what um, specifically about that music video kind of pushed you over the edge? Uh, was it juggling all, all of those at once or back to back? And then this just kind of like pushed everything over, like what specifically triggered you? It's a couple of things. Um, and it's really interesting talking. I don't think I've ever talked about this um, in a very, clear way especially in this sort of setting but um i remember when i was doing it it was really busy it was insanely busy time trying to juggle three music videos and um i remember i was not chatting to my mom and dad often i was not chatting to my sister i was not chatting to my loved ones like my extended family very often every time i had an interaction with my wife it was quite um kind of cold and work related um, practical, logistical, administrative. And I remember transitioning from the second one to the third one. I was like, wow, so great. I get to do these like awesome music videos. But I was feeling like, oh man, I haven't phoned my mom in a while. And I was starting to, I was starting to, it felt like I was building the shell yeah. on the outside that was like so great. You know, it's like, ah, oh, these music for this music video for the weekend comes out fantastic. And this, you know, that was that was kind of just like a cool name. For sure. And then the music video that I did for Young Fathers was like it was a cool, a really cool concept. And then the other one was very meaningful for an artist. And I was like, wow, amazing. So I was kind of building this shell of myself, I guess, like the ego inside. Uh, outside sorry but on the inside i was atrophying because i wasn't chatting to my family i wasn't chatting to my mom and dad or 
And I don't even know if they necessarily felt that, but I felt that like what I needed very selfishly in, in terms of having those conversations, I wasn't getting. Um, but then even I felt like, oh, I don't want my mom or my dad to be upset that I haven't called them in a while. So I also felt like mm. I didn't want to let them down. Mm. And so yeah. there was this kind of sort of like atrophying happening. And then I did the three music videos. And at the end of the third music video, um, I had I put in, they had a budget of like 12K or something. And I put in uh, euros and I put in, I tripled that. Um, to shoot on film and we were going to shoot for four days um, instead of one day and the film was beautiful but we had to kind of like shift um, the the way that we approached the creative because um, it was it was it was quite politically um, in its it was quite political in its tone Mm -hmm. and a lot of the talent that we had brought in uh, didn't feel comfortable like last minute and uh, just with some of the things that we were doing, like just as a, for instance, uh, we had a woman that just like took her headpiece off her abaya um, and she wanted, uh, she didn't feel comfortable. So we rewrote that. Um, so the creative, almost like some of the creative changed underneath and because the creative changed underneath it and the, the, the management were okay with it. Um, uh, they were okay with the, the, or they loved the idea that we pitched them, but, once the creative changed a little bit, um, I'm trying to think just like the the right, uh, what the order of things were. They basically were only there for one day um, yeah. to shoot with their artist. And then they kind of gave us free reign to, to, um, to kind of execute on the treatment for the, for the other three days. But then the creative changed underneath because the day before some, some people wanted their scenes to be written slightly differently. So we did that. And um, so ultimately the film that they're, that the management saw was a little bit different from the film that we had in the treatment. Sure. Mm-hmm. And um, it created just like a bit of a, a, a chasm between expectations. And, um, and it, it knocked me pretty hard because they, um, they didn't want to release that version of the video, um, which, you know, once you've kind of like put in a bunch of money, uh, yeah. you, you, <laughs> um, invested, you invested feels, your own money into it. And yeah. 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 And, and to be honest, look, I wrote a long email trying to explain, you know, um, what the realities were underneath. Um, uh, and I didn't send it to them cause I didn't, I, it was just something, something that I had to almost like get out of my system, For you. but it wasn't, it wasn't going to be good to send. Um, because I was, I was trying to justify things that I think wouldn't make a difference. Mm. Um, but it really affected that atrophied version of me, you know, like this, the, the shell came off, and it was just me and I hadn't chatted to my family and I felt like now I've let people down mm. and it knocked me. It knocked me really hard to the point where I, you know, I had not experienced an ego death like that before. Um, and to the point, like I was saying, I was going to bed every night super early and mm. I was waking up super late and I just knew that that was not healthy. I didn't feel like working whatsoever. Um, I'd go to the office you know, usually I'll be in the office from eight till six and I would leave every day at one. And I was like, I- I'd get pitches in to pitch on and they would, I would have so much anxiety, hmm. you know, just having a pitch come in and feeling like I needed to say yes, but knowing that I had nothing in me 
to do the work, mm. you know, because um, I felt like a fraud. I just, I, there was nothing left. Um, and it, honestly, I'm thankful that I have a family and a wife and, and kids because the, the, those were the only places where I can find this like artificial sense of worth. Hey, dad, I love you, you know, oh, yeah, or yeah. my daughter just wanting to play with me. I was like, yeah. thank God for that. Yeah. Um, but then it was like months of that. And it was finally like conversation with my mom that like took yeah. me out of that, you know, but yeah. what I did realize the biggest thing that I would say to that whole experience was I kept on retelling the story. And at the time I felt like it was very unfair. And I kind of carried that sort of, I carried that, that with me in my, in my system coming out of my mouth. Um, you know, and I, it was almost like, it was just to my, you know, to my close friends. I was like, oh, that thing really knocked me and it was so unhelpful. It was just it, to my own, to my own soul, to my own spirit, to, to speak the negative. It's yeah. just, it, you, I just realized the power of words after that whole experience, hmm. words uttered, but also words you tell yourself. And so Taking thoughts captive is really important. It's such an old school idea, but really, really, really has so much power. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to, I had to change my language to myself and also um, to others. I just, and I had to change that all with gratitude and thankfulness. Yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing. Um, I feel like isolation and depression go so much hand in hand and, um, we're, we're also fathers and I definitely having that anchor of your family or your children to remind you of like, of the more like existential things in a way, like I think can really like ground you and, um, bring you back into reality. How have you like having that experience and you even mentioning, kind of going back into it a little bit during the pandemic, how have you uh, combated it or being more aware of it now? How do you, what kind of like self-care do you do to, to um, not avoid it, but be aware of it a little bit more? Mm. I think some of the, some of the lessons that I've learned, I've kind of mentioned a little bit. I think for me, Gratitude and thankfulness in spite of a situation is pivotal. It's, it's really, um, you know, I think maybe I can explain it this way. Like gratitude and thankfulness is really good before you hit a sort of rock bottom at rock bottom. For me, there's only, there's only three ways to deal with it. You'd kind of do it in your own power and then it's just going to happen very soon again. It's, I hate to say this, but this is the reality for a lot of people. They end things. And otherwise, yeah. it's like, it's a kind of a divine thing. It, you know, so I try not get <laughs> to that. I've been there twice. Yeah. Um, again, it's very subjective. It looks different for other people. But I think on the way to use, on the way to things kind of spiraling, because I think you spiral sometimes into rock bottom. And it's like, you can see it coming. Um, is practicing thankfulness, gratitude, um, having, I think like having a meditative practice, you know, Mm -hmm. but 
those things are connected to thankfulness and gratitude because I think you have to kind of create space in your life to speak, you know, speak words of thankfulness and gratitude to other people, to yourself. Um, and I hate how self-healthy this all sounds, mm -hmm. but it's so funny. Like when you're a kid and you hear your parents, you know, talk about the power of words and you, it's like, well, you don't get it as a kid because I guess yeah. you're, you're, you haven't gone through those experiences yet, right? Um, but as an adult, these things are like life-saving things, um, life-saving tools, um, avoiding speaking negatively, cynically um, is super important. I try not to surround myself with people that are cynical. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. really creative people can be very cynical. For sure. Um, like the, the, the uber creative people often can be very cynical. But to me, to my soul, to my spirit, it does not help. I like people that are curious. Curious people I don't find cynical. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Terrence Malick to me, you know, like his filmmaking style, whatever. I actually appreciate it, but wow, he's a curious person. He can follow a butterfly. He can follow a bee and still say something through it. You know, um, Tarkovsky, the same curious, but intellectual. I want to grow, I want to grow old and wise, but also, um, curious and childlike. And yeah, wow never lose that no i think that's i mean that's key man it's so funny like i feel like oftentimes like you we, as we're talking about like ego and like even learning things and not forgetting things from being children oftentimes like i feel like we're all just like scared little kids inside trying to think, figure things out in life still and i think that phone call with your mom is yeah. like so simple but but um such an awesome reminder to like uh help push you forward um yeah, yeah. i think i think like yeah. the the whole idea of well our memories are are pretty flawed um yeah. and yeah. the so, like the narrative that we tell ourselves uh mm -hmm. is usually pretty flawed um and i mean one thing that i've been experiencing just to go back to the gratitude thing uh is like over the last year uh in the moment, it's hard to like remember my successes and it's really easy mm. to remember my failures or really easy to right. like feel like, and, it, and it's, and it's really easy to build a narrative that isn't actually the whole truth. Um, and, and we're right. just telling the, those narratives to ourselves constantly, uh, whether we're talking mm. to somebody else or, or we're just thinking it in the moment. And, uh, mm -hmm. the idea of, like the two things, uh, you talking to your mom and like snapping you out of that narrative, uh, and her giving you a little bit of, uh, the whole story. Right. Uh, and mm -hmm. then gratitude forces you out of that narrative. Right. Because then you have to start mm -hmm. thinking about the wins. You have to start thinking about, uh, the things that are there that are beautiful and, um, mm -hmm. and that completely changes that self narrative that that's that could be really damaging you mm -hmm. uh and allowing you to believe a bunch of lies that you're telling yourself you know mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that's great. yeah 
yeah, we, we've talked about this before and you've touched on it. I'd love to kind of hear your perspective a little bit more about like identity, right? And like being an artist or a creative, I feel like your identity is so like ingrained in what you do or your accompli- accomplishments oftentimes. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your perspective on that and how you've juggled that. Yeah, it's a hard thing um, because it is. It's so inextricably linked and connected um, to our sense of self. Um, I am th- I am thankful again for my parents that kind of like raised me with a with a really good sense of self and where my worth comes from. Yeah. Um, it's I think I've, I mean, sometimes when you grow up, you start to like, your the ego starts growing mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you have to suffer these like breaks in it to recognize, oh, but who's underneath? Who's underneath? I felt before I had my first kid and before I had, I mean, I guess I had this like viral hit in, in not viral hit, but like a viral success with that first film that you saw. Sure. Um, but in between that and anomaly, I definitely had the sense, like, I guess, spiritual sense of like, don't become a shell. Don't become a shell. Don't become a shell. Like, don't, the feeling that I had was don't put everything that you understand of existence of your spirituality into the work. And then when people interact with you, like you're just a shell, you're just, there's nothing actually underneath you've you've put all your ideas into the work but then there's actually nothing concrete for other people to interact with i mean that's still a challenge i think sure. even a greater challenge in our landscape today where you know when we grew up we had maybe um 500 people or your your parents had 500 people in their orbit that's the max that's you know life didn't extend beyond that but now with everyone has sort of a celebrity culture around them we're all kind of celebrities with with um with social media mm-hmm. my network is huge right i have so many people that do want to connect that want to have a coffee and it's actually it is really hard because i want to be able to facilitate as much of those conversations as i can but also yeah. i mean every one of us now have that sort of sphere and it's like, well, actually I can't be. So a while ago, I, I felt this very clearly as well was, are you going to trade the likes of strangers for the loves of family and friends? Mm. And that's a careful balance that we all have to wrestle with. And no, I don't want to trade that. You know, I don't want to, someone may, may write me off because I blew them off. Um, that's okay because that's i don't want to say that's okay i mean like that's not nice i don't ever want for anyone to feel like i've blown them off but i have to make sure that my family and my friends are the relationships that i pour everything into and then whatever other capacity i have i have to be very selective about who i can you know shat uh, mentor or you know uh you know have coffee with or i wish it was possible to do that all the time but it isn't, you know, yeah, and so absolutely. I've had to like, I've had to protect the inner person that I am with my family and friends around me and try and do that um, without falling prey to becoming, you know, liked by everyone. Um, sure. yeah. 
because that's I just don't know if it's possible, you know. Sure. Um, as a parent, I'm curious, like, how do you like you mentioned like earlier before we started this, like you, that you do have a, a pretty like consistent schedule. Like, how do you balance out being a father, being a husband, uh, commercial director, writing screenplays, trying to get your film funded? Like, how do you how do you juggle on a practical level? It is it is really hard, but I have a very honestly, I I don't think I could do it without my without my wife, um, yeah. who's an artist in her own right, um, and who's, I mean, she's after taking a couple of years just, you know, working, I say quote unquote working as a mom because it essentially was a full time job with two 100%. kids. Hundred um, She's she's a very gifted. Uh, painter like that painting in the back is oh, cool. what she did she did another painting there nice. you know Beautiful. on the on the side there she's and she's just starting that up again after kind of like years of putting that down trying to take care of the kids um so she's doing that but she's also you know managing so much of our home life especially when i'm away um but i don't think i'd be able to do that if if my wife's like, well, I need you home all the time, um, or I need you home much more than you are. You know, I travel, I do travel a lot. Um, and she's extremely, I wouldn't say gracious. She's just, I think she's just strong and resilient and is able to make that work. I mean, she's, she doesn't do that reluctantly. She's a champion of my dreams. Um, as I'm trying to be with hers. Um, I, I am very, I, I'm more introverted than I'm extroverted. So that helps. Um, I don't need to be around people all the time. So I'm not a very, you know, it helps in some ways. I think it helps. <laughs> it helps in that I can, that I can more often than not, I can do the work where it doesn't help. is not a good salesperson. I'm not very good at networking. So once I have something, it's often hard to like get out or to, you know, sell people on, um, but look, I feel like a lot of people thing. listening um, to this podcast would relate to that. What you just said right for sure. there. For sure. Okay. Creatives <laughs> are really, really bad at networking and, and selling themselves for uh, sure. Yeah. And, you know, so also I think my personality kind of works in New York because I don't get too distracted having to go out every night. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a, I have a pretty chill life. I'm, you know, I, finish at the office in the summer it's usually six in the winter it's like five um, and then i'm at home putting the kids to bed sometimes my my son and i will go skateboarding um have dinner go to bed um and work if there's work to be done um watch a movie or read articles at night you know it's a it's a pretty normal life when i'm home and then it's a pretty crazy life when <laughs> when i'm traveling yeah. Do you sculpt out specific time to work on? Because you continuously, um, really since the beginning of your career, put out a lot of personal projects. Do you um, very intentionally sculpt out time to make sure those are completed and to do? Yeah, the personal work is is hard and it's increasingly hard. And I wish it wasn't like that. I was just explaining to someone else the other day. Um with the sculpting of the time, I've always with the personal work just followed my curiosity. Yeah. So like when there's something that's got my attention, I'm borrowing down and I'm losing sleep over it because I'm up at, late at night and waking up at three o'clock and I'm, you know, putting paint on the canvas on it. And that's kind of like during the, 
almost like the research putting together phase. It's before I've shot anything or, um, or, or, or editing. Um, it's just really what that I can still do. But the thing that's quite hard is actually finding the time to, to go execute it because it's in between a commercial or music video and my schedule is always in flux. And it's also hard. It's, I don't know, like Kickstarter, I'm literally my building, the building right next door. I'll show you guys right there. Mm -hmm. That's Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Um, And they're selling their building. They're like $29 million property. Yeah. Wow. So, I don't know what they're doing, but I don't know whether people, again, I'm saying this very ignorantly. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that avenue is working so much anymore. Sure. Yeah. Um, So the crowdfunding, so all that to say, like, you know, finding, finding for me, who's now, I would say maybe a little more established Mm -hmm. in my career, just because I've been here now for for six years or so, six, seven years. um, It's harder to do those personal projects uh with like a community around it because i'm seen as more of an established uh filmmaker so i did a film two years ago in ukraine um and it was an amazing experience um but it took a lot to make it happen it was you know it was really expensive uh put put you know three years worth of savings into it and i just can't afford to do that um as regularly anymore and and i am i think different and maybe where i'm now different to where i was three four five years ago was i'm trying to break i am trying to break into the longer form stuff so i am trying to use my like mental faculty the time that i have to develop stuff in that space and it's just a little bit more expensive than just shooting an abstract art film which i still want to do i never want to stop doing that sort of stuff but the lift, the financial lift, um, the community, you know, getting people behind that sort of lift is just a little bit bigger now. I can't make an anomaly, you know, at this stage of my career like mm. then. It just it just can't do it. So yeah. it just makes things a little trickier, but that's fine. I'm I'm I I am pouring so much onto the page. Like there's so many stories mm. that I want to tell and um they're sitting there, you know, they're building up on a pile. And when the time is right, when the opportunity comes, um, that they'll, they'll come into being. And even if they didn't, it was important for me just to get them out onto the canvas yeah. as like a yeah. cathartic exercise. How, how much do your um, personal projects play into your professional career? <laughs> well, um, so I'm, I'm going on a shoot. I leave on Tuesday to go shoot a project for Ford. Um, and there's some places we're shooting outskirts of LA. Um, and I really want to shoot a short film out in that same area. Um, but I've decided to go and shoot the full job in that area because then I can maybe even do a little bit of scouting. I mean, it's all, this often happens where like there's a commercial project that comes in at the right time. And I engage on that project because I see something in that project that could help you know, informs some, either it's a skill set thing or it's a location that I really want to see or 
it off, these things often bleed into each other in ways that would seem so disparate when you see end results, but there was part of the process that informed either the personal project informed the commercial thing or, or vice versa. Yeah. Um, but that does happen fairly often. Yeah. Cool. Um, one thing we like to ask is like, what advice would you have for like other young filmmakers coming up? It's such a, it's such a wild time to like, um, going back to the Daniels, it was really interesting to, to watch his um, Oscar speech um, because he brought up um, one of the Daniels brought up the fact that um, the way we absorb um, films and I hate the word, but content is changes so rapidly now. And he doesn't know what yeah. that looks like for him as a, as a filmmaker, as things seem to be changing every minute. Like what advice do you have for like young filmmakers or, or creators? now just getting into the game it's a hard thing so i i just saw this curve or this graph and it showed as a graph knowledge versus time and it shows human knowledge is kind of a, a curve that just goes straight in a straight line but increases yeah um and it starts at zero and then artificial intelligent knowledge yeah. starting way further down the line and it just boom, clicks up yeah. and it intersects. And I mean, that's the future. It's, it's going to intersect with human knowledge in, in the next, they say in the next 25, 30 years. And then it's going to be an explosion of the knowledge because there's a process that's going to click in called recursive self-improvement, which machines right now need human models yeah. um, to basically learn and gather data. And um, their their knowledge will just explode. But the thing that I don't think, and probably increasingly, that they won't have is the human experience of mm. pain, of failure, of suffering. Mm. Those things make us who we are. And I think I haven't been able, like I said, there were so many things that I almost like discounted from my childhood, growing mm. up in a religious home and all these things. Like, I'll never talk about that. But embedded in, embedded in that experience and where I far found myself again, my, my value was, I say this to friends so often, don't discount those failures and don't discount mm. the rock bottoms because if you open yourself up you will find your like ultimate freedom you'll find your ultimate self your beloved self in those deepest darkest moments you find yourself and i think it's so easy for young filmmakers that's what i did you know it's what i threw i threw my 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 true self almost away just to make cool shit quote unquote mm. yeah but it doesn't pierce through the heart. You know, it's like, I, I'm so excited about what I'm doing now. All the stuff that I would say people haven't seen because I haven't really put much of it out because I'm waiting for, for, you know, for money to be able to do it. And, but I'm so excited about what I'm exploring now because they, they come from a really true place. So they come from a place of both failure and burnout and rock bottom. But it's the 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 deepest things i've explored it's the most personal things i've explored and some of it like i said is 
you know, in a drama sort of zone. Some of it's in a sci-fi sort of zone. Some of it's in a comedy zone. <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to take all of this so serious that it, you know, that it becomes so weighty that it's just, ah. Uh, but I, I want to deal with existential things in these very fun ways in these varied ways and i feel like i haven't really explored that all the stuff i was kind of like making before was quote unquote cool shit yeah and it's so vapid and fatiguing because that's everywhere everyone's doing that sort of stuff hmm. but i think if i can encourage young filmmakers to look for the thing that is uniquely theirs the thing that I've, they've suffered through the things that have made them who they are and they try and unearth that and they try and bring that to the fore. Like that's the stuff that I think AI hopefully will never replace because the way they're going, things are just getting better and better and better for them. Um, we still have the human frailty, the human, um, the place of suffering and pain, all those things that we hate. I would never wish it upon anyone, but they make us who we are. Yeah. Um, I've learned the most of myself in those you know, during those seasons, those are the things that also make me want to tell stories these days, you know, um, don't discount that. Don't just go off to the cool shit. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's great. That's really great. And I, I love to hear that because I feel like, um, you know, coming up in that Vimeo generation, it, a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it kind of turned into just being cool shit. And then that kind of morphed into like more of an Instagram world, which is about, likes and making cool shit for likes and i think some of the best yeah. young, young filmmakers now are cutting through and it's not about those likes it's about yeah something very real and very personal that that people can feel and identify with and that's that's art and that's amazing yeah yeah, yeah. Awesome. the long yeah, form I, I mean the like right now everything is like 15 seconds or 30 seconds or whatever and and right you don't want to lose out I mean, the real beauty is the buildup and the the time that it takes to get to a point, right? And and yes. I don't I don't think we'll ever lose that. And I'm sure that eventually, after everybody gets sick of the 15 second stuff, they're going to be like the the depth will just kind of drop out of it. And and uh, you know, it's fun. I'm a, I love it. I'm addicted to it. I scroll through constantly, but uh, right, the depth is not there. Uh, and yeah, and we crave that. I think. Yeah. I, awesome. I wow. always keep like I went through this. Ex uh, I, I went through this experience of writing a film two years ago, and um, I really had the sense that I was just looking at the index cards on my wall, and I was like, "Oh wow, this I, I'm I'm feeling a little analogy uh, coming to me," and and this was the feeling I had. I I felt like. A commercial is like a, you know, it's like an index size card. You can like scribble on it and you have something really small, but a, let's say a music video, it's like an A4 sheet. You scribble on it a little bit, a little bit of like sweat comes off your brow as you do that. Then you have, um, you know, you have a short film and it's the size of a massive wall of a room. You're scribbling on it, a bit of sweat comes off you know, um, maybe a bit of tears as you've like, you know, work over a section um, that you're not happy with. And then a feature film is like a house. Mm -hmm. There is blood, 
sweat and oh, yeah. tears in the canvas of that painting. Mm-hmm. You cannot get blood, sweat and tears on an index card. You know, you, you just haven't worked as much. There isn't a, enough room. And I think that's for me, what a film is. You get to put so much more of yourself in it. The canvas is so much bigger. There's just so much room and real estate to open things up. And th- th- that that's what I'm hungry for, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah, we'll see what the future holds, but um, I'm, again, trying to do the shadow work. And if it's only that, that's fine. It feels mm-hmm. like I'm, you know, it's serving my soul. It's process and that's, and that's serving my soul. Shadow work, that's, that's so good, man. Um, yeah. And it's so, I feel like, um, of the now when nothing is in the shadows, to your point earlier. I think that's, yeah. I think it's so good and um, really beautiful. And I think creatives should do more shadow work yeah do (laughs) more shadow work i love that (laughs) that's awesome yeah um well thank you solomon this is this has been awesome and we 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 i'd love to sit and talk to you about ai for like another hour but yeah (laughs) this isn't this isn't uh we're not lex friedman shout out lex but yeah (laughs) like shout out to lex i was just listening to him earlier (laughs) yeah yeah um so many good AI conversations going on over there, but it's, um, mm. yeah. Like, thank you, man. Like, um, yeah. Did you have anything else, Steven? Or, um, I'm yeah, talking- no, I'm, uh, that was great. All of that stuff was great. Is there anything that you want, uh, our listeners to, uh, to see to anything you've been doing? Nothing, nothing that's out. Um, it's all I've still in the shadows things coming out. And, yeah. All still in the shadows. Yeah. And that's maybe, maybe the good place for them to be at the moment is as we try and get them to say what they need to say. Um, but no, there's, there's a bunch of stuff, stuff coming out and then I'm just trying to be patient with, with a couple of films. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I, the other thing that I really believe is you have to will things into existence because otherwise yes. nothing gets made, yes. yeah. but then you have to hold it with an open hand as well. Yes. Mm. Are you, because uh, otherwise you get cynical. And yeah, that's good. You mentioned note cards. Are you like a big whiteboard guy as well? Like, I feel like when you actually physically write things down, it can uh, almost bring it into light in a way. It's like that. Totally. So powerful, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We, so we've got a, We've got a little whiteboard here um, that, you know, that we write everything down. It's not current. Nothing's on there because my wife's like, okay, because I did write like my goals for uh, 2023 on there. And she was like, the next thing I knew, it was like off the wall. And she had put them all there. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) She was like, okay, well, you know, I just want to protect you so that you see it, but no one else does. I'm like, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, <laughs> oh, for sure, that's awesome. No, that's awesome. So yeah, I, I do have that. I would say one of the most things I'd be excited to see is a uh, comedy from Solomon. I think yes, I would love sounds, to see that. That sounds that awesome. That sounds. Uh, I've got yeah, I'm writing three. Uh, well, I've written two, and I've got another one. Um, yeah, I've got a story of like a, a matriarch of a like a Romany, uh, quote unquote, sorry to use the pejorative, but maybe under, everyone understands it, like a gypsy matriarch from mm-hmm. Romania who claims that Gucci has stolen her designs. <laughs> wow. um, and, and it's very much done kind of in the style, like an intersection of Borat meets Itania. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so it has like these documentary inter- interviews uh, with 
cinematic narrative and you use the two to kind of like speak across each other and to kind of like juxtapose each other. So that's awesome. yeah, that's one. And then two others that I'm really excited about. And yeah, fingers crossed I get to make them sooner rather than later. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's a thing that I really want to flex. Cause I think comedy and laughter and humor and irony and satire is such a part of the human experience. Like it just mm-hmm. creates another dimension of, of reality um, that, I grew up again in a religious household where that wasn't explored. And I was like, man, that needs to be somewhere in the religious, you know, any, all, any and all faiths should have that element to it. Otherwise yeah. it's so limiting. It's like, you're not explaining reality in any. So I've really been interested in like, where does that exist? You know, in the, in the spiritual and, dimension. It has to. There's like a, I feel like we learn so much more about the world. I mean, I learn a lot about the world through, uh, you know, films and media and books and all that stuff, stories. Uh, And comedy has this wonderful place and satire has this place to be able to show you the darkest parts of of society in a way that like- In a palatable way. In a palatable way. A way that like I can actually- swallow digest and understand yes uh because a lot of times if it's like too dark then like i have a hard yes. time processing it or i have a I, or yes. i i unintentionally avoid the topic uh and right yeah uh, it's or it's it comes really to you as a preach yeah oh right? yeah it's like that's a big thing right? that's what, like triangle sadness was so great because it it was like a it was a pointing of the finger to so many different people but when you do it with a laugh, it's like, oh, that's me. You know, that's me, but, ooh, that's yeah. uncomfortable, but I can swallow it. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that's, 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 that's great art when it can do that, you know. Absolutely. Well, dude, what thank you so film. much for, for, for being on this podcast and, and giving us your time today. And uh, I think this will come out, what, like in, in two weeks? Yeah. Or next week. Yeah, next week. I think. Next week, yeah. 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 This will come out next week. Yeah. Awesome. Pleasure, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Always, always love having these sort of conversations. It's, uh, you don't, we don't often go down. We don't often talk about these things. Um, but yeah, hopefully it is helpful to, to someone. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I've discovered in doing this, this is episode five, I believe. Mm -hmm. And like, man, I've learned so much from every guest and it's like, I didn't realize how much this was going to affect me. Yeah. Like I was thinking mm. like, oh yeah, this is going to be like a really great thing for young creatives or whatever, right. like the creative community. And I'm like, oh, whoa. Like, I guess I'm like the target market. Like this is, <laughs> this is like really right. hitting home to me. <laughs> sure. All these things. Right. Yes. Yeah, feels like it'll almost be a therapy session every, you know, every time you're chatting to someone because you're learning how they're dealing with things. And for sure, exactly. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's these are important conversations to be had and hopefully helpful to other creatives out there. So, thank you and um, yeah. Thank you guys. So lovely connecting. Hey guys, it's Stephen again. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode. If you would like to support Beautiful Failures podcast, you can leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you feel like it, share this podcast with a friend you think might enjoy it. Also, we'd love to know what your thoughts are about this conversation. Head over to Instagram, go to at Beautiful Failures podcast and comment on the post for this episode.
We would love to hear from you. See you in the next one.